This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, does it feel ordinary yet? <laughs> um, <laughs> it is. It is ordinary. We're back to ordinary time. Uh, tomorrow is the, actually the second Sunday of ordinary time. Even though uh, last week was the baptism of the Lord, it was also simultaneously at the same time uh, the first Sunday in ordinary time. So we we started counting up, and here we are coming up tomorrow, the second week already. Look, we've already had a whole week of ordinary. Did it feel like it? Um, I've, I've seen several memes going around saying, you know, 2021, um, can, we, can we return it after the two-week free trial and just skip straight to 2022? Uh, maybe you can identify with that. Uh, you know, it's been an interesting week here. We lost power um, on Wednesday for nearly 24 hours, along with uh, about 200,000 other people along the Puget Sound as we had a little bit a little bit of rain. You know, I knew and I thought when you move up to the Pacific Northwest, you're going to get rain. It's just kind of part of the process. Um, but the rain here has been really um, often, but really kind of light. Uh, the, the story goes, Bishop Barron, uh, when he came out to Seattle to speak, I think, at Amazon, um, he talked about, you know, people say about Arizona, well, yeah, it's hot, but it's a dry heat, so you don't really feel it. And about Alaska, they say, well, yeah, it's cold, but it's a dry cold, so you don't really feel it. And of Seattle, well, yeah, it rains all the time, but it, it's a dry rain, and so you don't really feel it. And um, I was told when you when you moved out here, one of the things that you had to do to prove that you were a native uh, is that you never carry an umbrella. And I thought that was kind of the funniest thing because it, it's supposed to rain all the time, and really it doesn't. It rains um, all winter long. Uh, <laughs> we we our house backs up to a dairy, uh, and there's just this huge field of. Um, it's where they grow the the hay. Uh, and so most of the year, we've got this beautiful pastoral kind of meadow-like view of, and when we bought the house, uh, this view of the pasture. You wake up in the morning and there's uh, some just kind of mist or, or it's not really even fog, just this kind of low mist over the ground that is just really, really quite uh, beautiful. Um, but apparently at this time of the year, because this is the first winter that we have lived in this house. Um, this time of the year, we have lakefront property <laughs> as it rains so much that that, that field just kind of fills up. So, um, yeah, it's, but it's a dry rain. So you don't, so you don't really feel it, but yeah, this last, uh, last week we had just a huge storm and, uh, as the, as the visible um, speaks of the invisible. And so that's been kind of, the way that 2021 has so far gone. But there's so much potential and so much hope uh, as we we anchor ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. There's so many other things that we could look at or look to for, um, for security, right? 
We could watch the economy or the stock market, or we we could look at the jobs numbers. We could look at uh, how how many things are open back up and how many places that we can go. And there's all of these things that we could allow to be kind of a barometer of how things are going. But ultimately, all of these things are temporal. Uh, they're they're like the morning mist that hangs over the meadow just outside my window. That. Uh, within a couple of hours, the sun has popped up and burned that off, and now we have this nice, clear day. And all of these things that we look to for our security ultimately are just vapor. Uh, and and so if we put our trust in them and we, we stake our, our, our emotional well-being and stability on those things— then we're going to be left in a little bit of a lurch. We talked about this some last week as we looked at, as the baptized, uh, to whom do we owe our allegiance? And and how do we then go forth and view the world as the baptized? And this kind of plays into that same thing. If our security is on um, things opening back up, or the economy getting better, or the health of our loved ones, uh, all of these things will eventually fail us. And so we turn and we we trust in the divine providence of God, and we allow ourselves to realize that ultimately everything else in the world passes away. It's that whole, we, that quote from uh, the front of the breviary of St. Teresa of Avila, right? Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. So if this is the case, if that really is the truth, that everything else is passing away, but God is unchanging and God suffices for all of our needs and provides for us and cares for us, wants to be in relationship with us and, and wants to have us be part of his family, if that's true, which I, I believe that it is, then that should be what our, one, our stability is in and our focus is on. Two, that ought to lead us to see that that's really the most important thing. The most important thing, if everything else is passing away and nothing else lasts, if that's true, then it would stand to reason that the most important thing that we should pursue individually and corporately is the kingdom of God. And we see this in the, the Sermon on the Mount, where Matthew uh, tells the story of Jesus going out and preaching uh, on the mountain. And one of the first things he says is, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about any of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you, right? You're going to, the divine providence of God is going to provide for you the things that you need. Don't worry about them. Rather, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can do that. One, we can seek God's will for our lives individually. Yes, we can seek the kingdom of God uh, in our lives so that we are living a life that is in conformity with our, the reality of our lives as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So that gives us different priorities and different um, different allegiances and that we talked about last week. All of this is true. If we believe that all this is passing away and and God is unchanging and is he alone suffices, then 
it stands to reason that we would seek first the kingdom of God in our lives, but not only in our lives. We say that prayer also, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a very personal thing. In my life as it is in heaven, it's also a very corporate thing. It is a, a thing that belongs to the whole world on earth as it is in heaven. And if that's the case, if the only thing that really lasts and the only thing that really matters is our relationship with God the Father and our uh, being a part of that family of God, then it ought to spur us into action for the sake of others. It ought to lead us towards evangelization. And that's a scary word, right? We've talked about evangelization here on the show a number of times, but it's just always a little bit unnerving um, because we have this picture of what evangelization is, we of what it's going to require of us. And it's very easy at that point to say, well, you know, God, um, can't you send somebody else? Is there not someone else who can go in this specific instance? Because this really isn't in my strength set, and I haven't really, you know, there's other people who are going to do a whole lot better at this than me, and I'm just going to hang out over here and do this little volunteer ministry that I've got, and and we're going to be good with that. But ultimately, that doesn't work, because the closer we get to God, the more intimate our relationship with God in Christ through the Holy Spirit the more we are drawn and driven toward the practice of evangelization. St. Paul says as much in the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, where he's talking to the people of Corinth, and he says, Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we are clearly apparent to God, and I hope we are also apparent to your consciousness. He goes on to say, um, For the love of Christ impels us once we have come to the conviction that one died for all, therefore all have died. He indeed died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Consequently, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even if we once knew Christ according to the flesh, yet we do do so no longer. So whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. The love of Christ, he says, impels us. It drives us towards this sharing of the gospel. And this, as we come to know him better, as we become convinced of these truths, this is where it leads us. We're going to explore that a little bit today with Adam Jenke, who is the Chief Operating Officer for St. Paul Street Evangelization Teams. Uh, you can find out more about them by going to streetevangelization.com. This is a great organization that I've, I've had the pleasure of watching in action, and I'm just absolutely thrilled to have you here today, Adam. Yeah, TL, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So there is a... Uh, a very specific picture that just jumps into everyone's minds when they hear the term street evangelization. <laughs> and typically it involves that red and white bullhorn. Yep. Um, this is not at all the, the modus operandi of St. Paul street evangelization. Just give us kind of a, a broad swath overview of what it is uh, that someone would see if they were in a location where a St. Paul team was set up. Oh man, I I hate to disappoint. No bullhorns, no soapboxes, no screaming street preachers. Uh, We are a very non-confrontational, one-on-one conversation-driven apostolate. So, you know, we've got a couple hundred teams all over the country. You know, we've got teams, uh, you know, even around the world, uh, you know, South America, Central America, 
uh, England, places like that, where it's just ordinary Catholics who are like, man, you know, the Pope and my bishops and my priests, everybody keeps talking about the new evangelization, but I want to live it out somehow in my own life to actually announce the gospel of the Lord. Mass has ended, go in peace. Well, I'm in my missionary field now. What do I do? Where do I go? And street evangelization becomes just a, a beautiful, simple way to practice. And, uh, and really, it's like very low-hanging fruit, right? Uh, I think evangelizing family is the hardest. But when we go out there to the street, we're just having simple one-on-one conversations with people who approach us, you know, because we have this public Catholic presence, and we're talking to them about the gospel. We're talking to them about Jesus. We're talking to them about whatever's going on in their life or uh, in their heart in order to, uh, you know, to, to see how we can help, how we can minister to them in, their, in that, that moment that the Holy Spirit has drawn uh, those people to us. Now, it's one thing to say, okay, uh, I see the need for this, and I see that there are people who are out there who are extroverts, who are knowledgeable in their faith, and they're excited, and they're trained, and they're equipped, but gosh, I don't think that that's something I would ever, <laughs> ever be interested in. Uh, at all in any way, shape, or form. Um, that's going to be really most of the people who are currently involved in a street evangelization team would have been in that exact same place when they first heard about it or even first saw a team out underneath the the, the white tent kind of thing with free yeah. rosaries to give out and a sign that says, I'm Catholic, ask me a question. Um, <laughs> it, it seems to be like, you know, inviting uh, a a certain level of conflict that, that many people are uncomfortable with. And you say it's non-confrontational and yet there is some amount of internal conflict that, that many people who go to mass every week, who are faithful in their devotion, that they would expect or to experience in that, in that situation. What would you say to them? Yeah. Well, first of all, I am uh, the introvert extraordinaire. Our, our founder, Steve, he's uh, he's a big extrovert. I'm an introvert. When I saw what he was doing, I realized, you know, I don't want to get into a big crowd, like a social situation at a party or something. I'll be the guy standing off in the corner. Uh, but if I can get into a conversation just one-on-one with a person, I can open up a little bit more and that's easier for me. And so introverts, extroverts, you know, we've got everybody out there, uh, you know, sharing their faith through, through street evangelization. And so our motto is to listen and befriend and then proclaim and invite. And so Yes, in the realm of ideas, people have, uh, you know, ideas in their mind that don't align with the truth. And so there's a conflict between, you know, that idea of who God is or who God is not and what the truth is might be in conflict. But unlike, you know, the Internet and the the volatility and the nastiness and and things that go on behind a keyboard over the Internet, right? You know, when when you are face to face with another person who's approaching you, uh, you know, like, visible tension melts away there. I've gotten into very few conversations where, where it's been tense or angry or, you know, know, or people have yelled at me. I mean, it's happened before, um, but the Holy Spirit was there where I could just receive it because I was receiving, you know, the, the anger and the hurt and the woundedness that this person was going through. And I knew it wasn't directed at me. It was really something that was going on in their heart. And so normally after you let a person say their piece in the, in the rare circumstances where people get upset, right, uh, you know, then you're able to diffuse uh, the situation by having heard them out and thanking them for sharing the, the, those frustrations that they might have with you. And all of a sudden they're like, wow, 
Like you're not only listening to me, but you're responding to me and you're really hearing what I'm saying. And so, yeah, we, you know, you know, it's just, and again, that doesn't happen often, but when it does, uh, it's still a beautiful ministry to be a part, part of, you know, Jesus was persecuted for, for his faith. If I, you know, I can stand there for 10 minutes and let somebody tell me about what father did to them or their family once and, uh, and then just move on from there. So Adam, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I want to hear a little bit maybe about a standout experience that you had early on when you first began doing this model of evangelization. Something from those early days that stands out that surprised you then about how the method works or how that the 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 training equipped you. What what's one of those events that just stands out in your memory? Oh, there man, uh, how how long do we have, right? There there's a ton of them. Uh, you know, I would say, yeah, one one of the big events that stands out to me uh, really early on is I, I was walking through a mall. We weren't even doing street ministry with a couple of friends of mine, and we were just talking to people. We were giving away, yeah, rosaries, talking about the life of Jesus, offering to pray with people. And I saw I, I saw a gentleman, um, you know, who is like towering over me, and I'm six foot two, and you know, he's covered in tattoos, head to toe. Uh, you know, it's a, it, it's, you know, it was a summer here in Michigan. So you can see tattoos all, all over his arms and legs and neck and head, and, you know, the big gauge earrings in just like looking angry. And, and I thought this guy could bulldoze me. And so if I try to talk to him about the gospel, you know, <laughs> come on, man. And so I, I'm thinking I, I'm, I'm going to be a coward right now. And I looked at my friend and I said, Hey, you, why don't you go talk to him? And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be your prayer for you. Right. <laughs> And so I'm going to stand back here and go, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with and, and my friend, she's like, whatever, and, and walked up to him just like, hey, you know, we're uh, we're from St. Mary and uh, out here giving away rosaries, to, you know, praying for people. Uh, would you like one? And he kind of quizzically looks at her and goes, are you a Catholic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, go figure. Yes, I'm a Catholic. And, and he slams his hand down on the table and he goes, I've been meaning to talk to a Catholic. And, you know, at this point, I'm getting my phone out. I'm pressing record so I can get, you know, monetize this on YouTube and uh, and everything when she gets punched out. And so, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm a Catholic. He's like, well, uh, I just finished reading the Catechism of the Catholic Church, but I don't know any Catholics that have some questions. And so at this point, I'm like, hey, my name's Adam. It's good to meet you. How are you doing today? You know, I'm a cow- like I said, I'm a coward. I'm an introvert. Uh, I, and I'm doing this stuff. And so it, it blew my mind that we're out here sharing our faith with perfect strangers that we otherwise walk by every day in the grocery store, in the mall, just walking down the street and restaurants, you know, you name it, that, that on their heart is this deep need for Jesus Christ. And we're ignoring the call to evangelize. We're ignoring the call to get into conversations. And so here's this guy that, you know, some of us might walk to the other side of the street if we see him coming and he has this deep hole in his heart and he's looking for truth. And so he's like, okay, I, I, you know, I just finished reading this catechism and we're blown away by this. And he says, I'm a Buddhist. I've been a Buddhist my whole life. It hasn't been answering the, the deep questions and hurt in my heart. And, uh, and can you answer some questions for me? So we had a great conversation. He absolutely cannot wrap his mind around the idea that God would become a baby, right? Mm-hmm. The incarnation. He was totally blown away by this concept. And so we took him through the gospel. And at the end of it, he's like, okay, what do I do? Yeah. Like, what do you, 
what do you mean? Like, how do I get, get myself baptized? I, you know, I believe in Jesus. And we're like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> it's supposed to take it, more effort than that. <laughs> I'm like, did the bishop put you up, up to this or something? Like, really? Yeah. Like, we're out here sharing the gospel. And here's somebody that the Holy Spirit put into our life that we were nervous about sharing the gospel with. And now he's joining our CIA at a local parish. You know, we weren't even prepared for that. We had to figure out who the local RCIA director, you know, near the mall was, near his home was, right? Um, so we were not prepared for the success and the fruit, what the Holy Spirit wants. And so it was a beautiful thing to see. So we have so many stories like that, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, that just in particular to, to think to yourself or for all of your listeners, think to yourself, like, how many people do I walk by every day that God is desperate for their hearts, for their, for their souls, right? He loves them so much. And he needs somebody like us as Christians uh, to, to intervene, to, to build that relationship, to tell them about the Lord. We're talking with Adam Janke, who's the chief operating officer of St. Paul Street Evangelization. You can find him at streetevangelization.com. Um, it, the story there reminds me of the story from Scripture of St. Philip and the Ethiopian and the chariot, who just finishes reading the Scriptures and he doesn't understand it, and, and God puts St. Philip there at that place at that time to answer that question for him. And, and, and if, if we are unwilling to, to talk with someone who is other or who is marginalized or is outside of our community, then, then we miss something important for the kingdom of heaven. Right, yeah. uh, because the kingdom of heaven is made up of every tribe and nation and tongue and race. Right, this is who we are as as the Catholic Church, this universal community of of believers, the family of God, uh, and so our interactions ought to represent that. Where we see, as Saint Paul says, that there's neither slave or free, uh, Jew or Greek, right, male or female, but all are one in Christ, and that means we have to maybe adapt the way that our eyes are. are currently culturally tuned uh, to be willing to engage in those conversations that would otherwise be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, just before we had this conversation here, you posted on uh, on Facebook this quote from Pope Francis, that it's key that both that Catholics, both clergy and laity, go out to meet the people, not only because her mission is to announce the gospel, but because failing to do so harms us the church mm-hmm. that limits herself to administering parish work that lives enclosed within a community experiences what someone in prison does, physical and mental atrophy. You posted that. It resonated with you. What, what some of what sprung to your mind as you saw those words and decided to post them? Yeah, you know, so often I, I think our parishes become uh, unintentionally, and while we're so well-meaning, somewhat of a, of a country club, right? Where we just, where we are surrounded by people every week, uh, the same people that we know or don't know for, you know, lack, lack of uh, uh, just not being a, really a good community, right? You know, a few people, we're in a clique, uh, but we're this group of, of strangers that worships together. And so when we're not out there evangelizing, Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, I think it's 1816, right? You know, evangelization is necessary for salvation. We really do atrophy. We get out of that Holy Spirit mode of seeing with the eyes of God uh, a world that is hurting, a world that has turned its back on God, a world that is desperate to know more. We're we're living through COVID-19 right now, uh, the, the whole pandemic and everything else and all these lockdowns and and all this stuff that's going on and Google searches, you know, the research and everything shows 
that people are looking for God right now. But then when they walk up to the church, what happens? The doors, the doors are locked, right? Uh, and, and this needs to be the time, you know, that symbolically where the, the doors of our hearts can't be locked. They have to be open to other people. Uh, it, it reminded me especially of an event that we offered in Detroit, Michigan, where we opened up the doors of a church uh, to, you know, a beautiful old church. People really weren't, you know, you know, not a lot of people going there anymore, uh, but just stunningly beautiful. And we walked out into the neighborhood and we offered people candles, you know, just little votive candles. We said, hey, the doors of the church are open. Would you like to come in and say a prayer? And there was instrumental music and there was a Eucharistic adoration and there were people willing to pray or, or speak to others. And 800 people came in off of the street received prayer. We had a line from the from the Eucharist in the front at the, the altar rail all the way to the door the whole night long of people waiting to come up and spend a few minutes in prayer. People who, who don't look like your normal church-going Catholics, right? People who aren't, quote, dressed right. Uh, people who don't look like the normal uh, middle-income or upper-income uh, Christian and so this was actually disturbing some of the, the, the quote-unquote church people, right? They're going, oh my goodness, what, what if they break something? What if they don't follow protocol? And we have to kind of hold them back and go, look at the ministry that's being done here as they kneel before Jesus in the Eucharist and the tears that are flowing. Mm-hmm. And they're going to see Father for confession. They're receiving prayer from our lay ministry teams. Uh, and their hearts are being healed and they're blown away by the beauty of the church. And they're blown away by that encounter with Jesus. And so if we're not willing to break down these walls and invite the whole community into church, however we go about doing that street ministry, or, or I don't care what type of ministry it is, uh, we're going to atrophy. And then we're going to see fewer marriages. We're going to see fewer baptisms. We're going to see fewer first communions. We're going to see fewer fewer dollars in the, in the collection basket, right? Uh, and churches are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so that's a real risk that we run when we don't evangelize. Well, and th- these are the statistics that we're seeing. I mean, you're, you're talking about what will happen. Of course, it, it will continue to happen. But uh, having worked in diocesan marriage ministry, having been a part of, of parish ministry, this is exactly what the conversations that are going on is that those numbers are declining. And, and we have to say, you know, this is not only about um, our, the, the, the structure and the organization of the parish, um, but it's also saying that these are people who would otherwise benefit from the graces of the sacrament who are not now because uh, of uh, a hundred different factors, but not, not the least of which that we are, are very much closed in. I, I heard a quote um, that if you are comfortable leaving your pew in the purse as you go, your, your, your rather your purse in the pew as you go forward to communion, uh, it's possible that um, your parish is a little bit too inward looking. Mm-hmm. If you, I love that. if, if there's no one in that church who makes you a little bit uncomfortable, how, how Catholic are we really being in the way that we invite people in? As James Joyce is credited with saying of the Catholic church, here comes everybody. We're talking today with Adam Jenke, who's the chief operating officer of St. Paul street evangelization. Find out more about him by going to streetevangelization.com. Come be a part of our ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There is so much more to come with this conversation right after the break. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. And today, we're back to that familiar topic of evangelization. Remember that the name of the show, Outside the Walls, is twofold. It's one, that we have to be a missional church, that we have to go out, that we have to be present to the world, incarnational, as just as we believe that Jesus is the incarnation of God, we now are the incarnation, the body of Christ going out to make Christ present, to make God's grace present to the world. Uh, so this is is kind of central to our mission. In fact, uh, Pope Paul VI and Evangelii Nuntiandi uh, says that evangelization is the, the key identity of her church, her deepest identity. Uh, so here we are, we're talking with Adam Janke, who's the Chief Operating Officer of St. Paul Street Evangelization. It calls to mind maybe something a little bit different. Uh, you know, we like to think of uh, evangelization as, as work that other people do, right? That's the, wor- that's the work of the church, and I'm just a, I'm just a member, right? That's the work of the, the parish staff or of uh, the programs of the diocese. And yet we, as the baptized, have been baptized into the priest, prophet, and king role— and in not so much in a sacramental sense, but very much so in a spiritual sense, we have a responsibility to the faith. And so here we have these questions. How do we pull this off? You talked about a little bit the, the way that St. Paul Street Evangelization worked. You gave us a great story of walking through the mall and the conversations that happened there. The, I've seen um, a team either officially or, or inspired by St. Paul Street Evangelization uh, at a kind of a city park fair kind of thing where there were booths and people were milling around uh, having conversations with different vendors. And then, oh, by the way, here's one from a church and we're going to give you a rosary and answer any questions you have. Um, And so it's a beautiful model because nobody likes to not take something that's free. So Mm -hmm. here, have a rosary. Here, have a holy card. Here, um, Big sign, ask your question. <laughs> Catholic, ask your questions. I saw one that had uh, a priest put up, uh, I'm a priest, ask me a question, and would also hear his sacramental confession out just in the middle of, no- uh, of, of the public square. Yeah. Um, you've seen this all across uh, the, the, the gamut because you've got the whole network of over 100 teams. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any difference between uh, a team where you are in Michigan, uh, where a lot of my listeners are in Iowa and Oklahoma, and the Detroits and the Seattles and the um, the, the New York cities? Right. So inner, inner city teams will certainly have different groups and different demographics that they're speaking to, depending on where you're at. San Francisco is going to look a little bit different than inner city Detroit, which is going to look a little bit different than uh, Disney World down in Orlando, Florida, or rural Iowa or, or places like that. And so you have to know your audience, right? You have to know who you're speaking to, who's likely to walk up to you. Uh, but within that, you know, and people have their own individual stories. So, you know, you can't prepare an evangelist to, to speak to eight, 8 billion different people, right? Everyone's going to have their own unique story. But, you know, but you get out to, to a place like Las Vegas and our, our evangelist there for a long time was Ed Gravelin. I actually just wrote, wrote a book that I got recently um, that he, from him, it's how, how to save money on your car loan and get to heaven too. So great evangelist there. No, knowing, you know, going with what he knows, right. And then evangelizing and sharing the gospel, but he would be out in Vegas and he would have all these people who would lose like everything in the casinos. Right. 
and felt like the only answer was to jump off a bridge rather than face their family. And so he would be there in that moment for them, uh, you know, where they're going to commit suicide and intervene and be able to speak to their hearts. For that, we have a couple of our teams that uh, are near hospitals. And of course, so they're constantly praying with people who are doubting God because, uh, you know, how could a loving God let something so terrible happen to a family member of mine who's very ill or sick or dying or has died? And then you have teams that are in more inner city locations where they're dealing with gang members uh, or people that are, are outright opposed to the gospel uh, or down, you know, places like, like Phoenix and uh, in San Francisco where you have uh, or Portland, where you have large populations of atheists. And so our teams train for uh, the mission field that God has set them in, and they'll, they'll respond differently uh, to, to those people according to what their particular needs are in the moment. I'm thinking back to the story you told us earlier of the, of the, the man who intimidated you as you were getting ready to walk through the mall <laughs> and share the gospel. Mm-hmm. And as you were telling that story, I, I think of um, all of those who pray for uh, all the holy souls in purgatory who have no one to pray for them. That's like the, the intention. My daughter prays that all the time. Uh, and, and I've heard of many others who do that. And it brought me to think about what about all of those who have no one to talk to them, right? Mm-hmm. Those who who are not yet the holy souls in purgatory, those who are still living here in this veil of tears, right? Those who are still sojourning but have no one to talk to them, um, do we do we pray for them? And do we offer ourselves uh, as the remedy for that, uh, yeah. to, to be the one that will go and, and offer a listening ear to the one who has no one to talk to them? Um, mm-hmm. You're ta- you're telling the story of of all these inner city things, and I hear uh, red flags going off in the ears of people who hear saying, "Well, that's exactly what I don't want to get myself into." Um, let's talk a little bit about the the way that teams are trained in St. Paul Street Evangelization, and and what do you do? Because you, you it's non confrontational. It's people who approach you. You're not going out with a bullhorn. What do you do with that person who does come to approach you, but they come with wounding and baggage and anger and maybe a pointed finger uh, instead of uh, um, a question? Yeah, yeah. So so that's kind of a two-part question there, um, TL. So first of all, our training, we have comprehensive training. We walk our team leaders through either on the phone or on Zoom um, with our national staff Lots of, lots of opportunities for training. We do street-ready phone interviews with them. We put them through our training on our website. We have just really solid, comprehensive training before uh, people go out there. Of course, a lot of people want to get out there quickly, and that's great. You know, buy a bag of miraculous medals or rosaries and start giving them away. No problem. Uh, we want to get you started quickly. But then, you, like you said, get into the nuances of some of these conversations and how do I do prayer ministry and how do I onboard my other team members and all that kind of other other details. Well, we walk you through that type of training as well. So that when you, to get to the second, you know, kind of your second question there, when you go out there, you're prepared uh, to answer and respond to, to some of these things that doesn't feel like just a normal question. Hey, this is what's going on in my life, right? Would you pray for me? Great. I'm going to come back to church. You know, if only every conversation was like that. So when people come, come to us and they're upset or they want to vent, uh, or they, they don't so much have questions or aren't so much friendly, but you know, we, we're there to simply, uh, again, to listen and befriend. 
and then proclaim and invite. I'll give you two two really short, quick examples. Uh, a gentleman walked up to to Steve, our founder, and he said, "You know why I'm not Catholic?" You know, he he didn't have any questions for Steve, right? And Steve said, "Why aren't you Catholic?" He said, "I'm not Catholic because Catholics don't read the Bible enough." Now, Steve could have gotten very defensive very easily, right? It, it could have gotten confrontational very easily. And Steve said, looked at him though, and he said. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Catholics don't read the Bible enough. I can agree with that statement. We should read the Bible more. Do you think Protestants read the Bible enough? And the guy's all of a sudden, he's like, no, man. Protestants don't read the Bible enough either. And all of a sudden, they had their arms around each other, right? And they're going, (laughs) people don't read the Bible enough, man. People got to read the Bible more. And they're pointing at other people that are walking by. Are you reading your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? (laughs) Completely diffuse the situation, right? And so another example in my own life was my mom, who was very upset with the church. So this isn't even street ministry, right? And so she left the church. And so even though I was baptized Catholic, I grew up Lutheran and then became Baptist later on. And then when I became Catholic again in college, um, you know, we had, we sat down, we had a conversation with the priest who said, Donna, why did, why did you leave the church? And she explained what had happened. She didn't have any questions. She was just angry. She was upset, right? And the priest simply listened to her story, took the time to just hear her out. And he was able to receive that, right? He, you know, he, and, and at the end of it, he just said, Donna, on behalf of the church, I am so sorry. There, there is no excuse. I'm just sorry. And please know that you're always welcome here. And I'm always willing to listen. And then the next week she called me and she said, yeah, Adam, I made my, my first confession in 23 years. And and, you know, she's been back since then. So, uh, yeah, it's so much, you know, yes, you get people that are upset or angry. I had a couple of college students yelling at me once, hail Satan, you know, when I was out there on the street, just trying to feel like rile us up. Right. And just being willing to, to receive that. And, you know, it's going to be OK. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is going to work in that because you are not the converter of hearts. TL isn't going to convert anybody. I'm not going to convert anybody. You're. Uh, your listeners, uh, you're not going to convert anybody. It's not going to happen. It's the Holy Spirit. And you're going to find yourself in conversations all the time where your words are going to be coming out of your mouth. And you're going to go, who said that? That wasn't me. And it's like, that's the Holy Spirit working through you. So if yeah. you think you're going to go out and be this awesome evangelist and it's not Jesus evangelizing through you, uh, don't go evangelize, right? Well, uh, th- if you are out to win arguments, you know, don't yeah. go evangelize. It's all about uh, it's all about the Holy Spirit. Well, I think that you'll also miss opportunities if you're going out with an agenda. You know, one of the most successful things I've ever seen uh, and, and and participated in is starting the morning with a prayer saying, God, this day is not going to go the way that I want it to. Make it go the way you want it to. What are the things? Help me to see the things that you're putting in my path that I'm supposed to engage with right? Uh, that, that otherwise I might consider to be a distraction from my plans and from my day and from the things I've got, uh, engaged in. And yet to be able to recognize the, the person on the street corner is not just, um, you know, impeding my progress to my next task, but they're an opportunity for me to, to bring the incarnation of Christ into the world and into that moment. Uh, and, and so, to hear a story not as, um, or an interruption from that person, oh, well, that's preventing me from getting to the good work of evangelization, to realize that that may be the whole work that I do today is to hear their story, and I may, I may see no fruit from that. They may walk away and, and still appear to me to be upset, but 
my reaction to that, to hear and to take and to not get worked up, and as St. Teresa of Avila says, let nothing disturb me and nothing fright me, um, and to be patient in the midst of that, that mm-hmm. could be the work that sets it up for the next encounter. Yeah, exactly. 90, 90% of people out there might just simply say no if you're doing street evangelization and keep walking and say, all right, have a great day. God bless you. And then it, that, that simple God bless you was planting a seed. And then 10% of the people might stop and talk to you, at, you know, or 9.9% of the people will stop and talk to you and you'll have a conversation. It will be friendly and you'll plant a seed, but you won't see any immediate con, you know, conversion. But it's the 1% of the people that are out there every single time we go out that say, God put you in my life today. You know, it's like, wow, like that was so amazing. You know, but we've had people call our offices that have said, hey, do you remember when you gave me a rosary 10 years ago? <laughs> no, <laughs> to be honest. Well, I just wanted you to know that, that that started me on a path where, you know, I've decided to become Catholic and give my life to Jesus. Yeah. You know, as you said, T.L., it's all about seed planting. Uh, we might not see the fruits of it, but the Holy Spirit is going to continue to work on their heart. And they might have another conversation, then another conversation, then another conversation, then one day down the road make that decision uh, for Jesus and the church. So if someone wants to get started, maybe they, they're just absolutely nervous. Of course, the first thing they can do is go onto the website, streetevangelization.com. Yep. There's a map of all the teams. Maybe there's already a team in the area. And so all you need to do is talk to the team lead and say, hey, I'm interested. Help me get started. But they, they might also see that there's no one there, right? There's no one in their area. There's no one to help them uh, in their immediate diocese or their immediate parish. What's the process through yep. St. Paul Street Evangelization uh, to get a local team started? Super easy. You go to that website, streetevangelization.com, click on get involved, click on start a team. You fill out a really short form. And then Brian Lee, uh, Bob Wilson, one of our our directors of St. Paul Street Evangelization uh, of starting the teams and everything, they're going to give you a call. They're going to email you back, set up a time just to chat with you for a few minutes. And they're going to take you through step by step. It's really an easy process, um, you know, but there's a lot of little pieces like filling out a code of conduct, you know, form. Okay, I haven't pushed the Pope down the stairs recently. You know, check. Good. I'm a Catholic in good standing with the church, right? And you go through those little processes piece by piece. doesn't take a lot of time. And then you can start evangelizing just by going and giving away miraculous medals, or you can keep working through the training. Uh, And then you'll have all this comprehensive training. You'll build your team. We're going to walk by you step by step. Uh, You'll partner up with us and have access to all those resources that we have available for you. And then when you're ready... Uh, You go out for the first time, and I'll say this, God loves to have tons of fun with Catholics that are new street evangelists. He's like, this first time out is not going to be boring. You're going to see fruit. (laughs) You know, I took a a group out for the very first time in Ohio. Three people converted to the Catholic faith. Three families joined the church the very first time. Now, I've been out plenty of times where it's like nobody's even said, you know, hi to us. Mm -hmm. Um, But God loves to have fun just with Catholics who are trying. He's like, I want you to see some of the fruits early on because I want to encourage you. Uh, but yeah, go to our website. You can get started there. And we'd love to talk uh, more to any of your listeners about it. You want to get involved in evangelization, the deepest identity of the church? This is a great place, a great way to do it. Streetevangelization.com is the website. We've been talking with Adam Jenke, their chief operating officer. Adam, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. 
If you missed any part of my conversation with Adam about St. Paul Street Evangelization, or you want to go back and listen to something again, catch something maybe you missed the first time around, maybe you want to share it with your friends on social media or through some other medium, well, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com. And each and every week, the conversation continues. There's more to this conversation with Adam than we put here on air, and that's available typically to everyone who supports the show through Patreon. But here we are. We're in the beginning of a new year. We've got uh, switched over into ordinary time. Uh, This is a week that I'm going to make this segment available to everyone. So you've heard me week after week say right there on OutsideTheWalls.com, top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. If you've resisted going there, this is the week to click on that because we have a fantastic extended conversation with Adam Jenke talking a little bit about um, the importance of expectations in evangelization and, and rather the importance of subverting the expectations of the person you're talking to and suppressing your expectations of how you expect the conversation to go. Because it's when we get past the expectations that evangelization truly flourishes. So that conversation is right there, open and and free to everyone. This is your week to go and take a look and see what it's like to be a patron of the show. And then If you like what you hear, if you like having that extra segment, for as little as $5 a month, you can ensure that we stay on the air week in and week out, and you get extra content that goes beyond the broadcast. Now let's turn our attention to this week's reading from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up, and you can get your own Verbum Library by going to Verbum.com. There's a free trial. Try it out for 30 days. See what you think. You're going to love it as much as I do, and then you're going to pick a library that fits your budget and fits your needs. Uh, I use the Gold Library here for all my show prep, and it makes my life so much easier. So we're going to do our reading right now from the, the first book of Samuel. Samuel was sleeping in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. The Lord called to Samuel, who answered, Here I am. Samuel ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You you called me. I did not call you, Eli said. Go back to sleep. So he went back to sleep. And again, the Lord called Samuel, who rose and went to Eli. Here I am, he said. You called me. But Eli answered, I did not call you, my son. Go back to sleep. At that time, Samuel was not familiar with the Lord because the Lord had not yet revealed anything to him. The Lord called Samuel again for the third time. Getting up and going to Eli, he said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the youth. So he said to Samuel, Go to sleep. And if you are called, reply, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. When Samuel went to sleep in his place, The Lord came and revealed his presence, calling out as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel grew up, and the Lord was with him, not permitting any word of his to be without effect. That reading comes from the the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3. A couple of things I want to point out here. I identify with Eli here with the the kid running in the room and saying, I'm here. 
<laughs> in the middle of the night. And I just, I feel, I feel for him because I know what it's like to be woken out of a dead sleep and trying to put together any thought other than, I did not call you, go back to bed. <laughs> so I feel for him here, but I want to point out a couple of things relating to Samuel. First of all, nothing in Scripture is there accidentally. Every detail that's given to us by the, the writers of sacred Scripture was placed in there on purpose. So what do we have? We have Samuel was sleeping in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Samuel was in close proximity to the presence of God, right? He placed himself, or in this case was placed, uh, in that location where he would be able to hear God. I, I, With my own children, with any number of people, I've heard the question, how do I hear God? And the answer to that is first and foremost, be like Samuel and put yourself in proximity so that you can hear God, right? That's step one. So here he was. He, he is close in presence to God, and the voice of God comes and speaks to him. And then he's persistent, right? Every time he hears, he didn't get discouraged that he had been sent back to bed multiple times. Each time he heard, he got up and went to the place where he thought he was supposed to go. And this is for us as well. Don't get discouraged in our pursuit of hearing God's voice. Don't be discouraged in, in uh, when all the people say, no, that's not it. Or if a priest says, you know, you didn't get that quite right. Or however it goes, don't allow yourself to be discouraged in your pursuit of truth, in your pursuit of the faith, and in your pursuit of hearing the voice of God. And then lastly, lastly, uh, he was given instruction by his spiritual director, right, by Eli, who said, "If go back to bed, and if you hear again, here's what you say. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He puts himself in a place of humility, and the voice of God comes back to him. Now, there's a whole bunch that skipped here in this section because uh, what happened is that then he woke up, he had a conversation with God where God pronounced judgment on Eli because of a couple of different things, and he had to pass that information along. But what we see here is the beginning of a relationship, of an intimate relationship with God between Samuel and God that leads to Samuel being the prophet of the Lord that guides the people of Israel for many years. And it starts out simply by putting himself in the right place, by being humble and willing to listen for that voice of God. And this is really the beginning of evangelization as well, starting with that presence, being present to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Our reading from church history today comes from a homily written in the second century, and it's a little bit of a warning to us as we begin this process of evangelization. My name is constantly blasphemed by unbelievers, says the Lord. Woe to the man who causes my name to be blasphemed. Why is the Lord's name blasphemed? Because we say one thing and do another. When they hear the words of God on our lips, unbelievers are amazed at their beauty and power. But when they see that those words have no effect in our lives, their admiration turns to scorn. And they dismiss such words as myths and fairy tales. They listen, for example, when we tell them that God has said, it is no credit to you if you love those who love you, but only if you love your enemies. 
and those that hate you. They're full of admiration at such extraordinary virtue, but when they observe that we not only fail to love people who hate us, but even those who love us, they laugh us to scorn, and the name is blasphemed. Therefore, brothers, if we do the will of God the Father, we shall be members of the first spiritual church that was created before the sun and the moon. But if we fail to do the will of the Lord, we shall be among those whom it is said in Scripture, My house has been made into a robber's den. We must choose then, if we want to be saved, to be members of the church of life. You surely cannot be ignorant of the fact that the living church is the body of Christ. For Scripture says, God made man male and female. Now the male signifies Christ, and the female signifies the church, which, according to both the Old and the New Testament, is no recent creation, but has existed from the beginning. At first, the church was purely spiritual, even as our Jesus was spiritual. But it appeared in the last days to save us. For the spiritual church was made manifest in the body of Christ, in order to show us that if we uphold its honor in the outward visible form and do not defile it, we shall, through the Holy Spirit, be made its members in the true spiritual sense. For the body of the church is a copy of the Spirit. And no one who defaces the copy can have any part in what the copy represents. In other words, brothers, you must preserve the honor of the body in order to share in the Spirit. For if we say that the body is the church and the Spirit is Christ, it follows that anyone who dishonors his body dishonors the church. Such a man will have no part in the Spirit, which is Christ. But if the Holy Spirit is joined to it, this body can receive an immortal life that is wonderful beyond words. For the blessing God has made ready for his chosen ones surpass all human powers of description. That reading comes from a homily from the second century, and this is so important for us as we look at this idea and at the practice of evangelization, that we first and foremost have to be people of humble heart, joined in love to the whole church, that our words and our actions match, that our lives are transformed by the power of the Spirit. And as we grow in that intimate relationship with God, as we come closer and closer to Him, then the words that we speak the words that we are compelled by his spirit to speak, these words will then have effect because the words that we proclaim will match the virtue that's expressed from a holy life, from a life that's lived in the presence of God, just like Samuel was there resting near the Ark of the Covenant. Well, that's all the time we have for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. Next week, we're going to talk about the Sunday for the Word of God. Don't miss it. This week's show is brought to you by Brandy Carey and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. 